Thanks, Dane. Good morning to everybody. It is great to see everybody. It really is. Great to be together. You know, I, I try to get around and shake a lot of hands and greet a lot of people personally, but I uh, have a difficult time getting to everybody, and more people come in after uh, I, you know, had to come back and kind of take my seat and everything, but so thankful to see you, and you really are an encouragement to me and uh, to the congregation here in general. I'm talking about regular members, but also visitors. And if you are visiting with us, we're thankful that you're here. Please take a moment to fill out a visitor's card if you can. Just leave it on your seat and uh, come back and see us as, as often as you can, often as you can. I want us to think about something today. You might look at the title of this particular sermon and you might say, you can drown in a foot of water. I remember going to visit a brother who had been here as a gospel, in a gospel meeting many, many years ago. And as I was in the state of Texas at that particular time, I took some time to go visit with him. And he said, uh, and we were sending our sermons to him at that particular time on CD. And he said, uh, he mentioned this particular lesson. And he said, you said you could drown in a foot of water. I wondered how you could do that. What, what were you talking? He said, but you worked it out. Well, I want us to think about that. When we're thinking about our faithfulness to God, naturally, the counter to that is sin. And so we say, I want to be faithful to God, but boy, the devil's over here all the time on the other side of me or maybe on my other shoulder, and he's always trying to tempt me into sin of one kind or another. Well, I think when we're talking about faithfulness and the counter to that, the devil trying to pull us away from faithfulness by leading us into sin. I think our focus on staying faithful to God by abstaining from sin, a lot of times we tend to focus on the big obvious sins and we minimize the little what we think are incidental sins. We don't really give as much attention to those. We kind of kind of brush those aside in our mind, maybe just kind of brush them off a little bit, in fact, and, and say, you know, I, those are just little things. They're not really that, that important. And so we, we kind of look at it from a skewed view. But you know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Thessalonian congregation in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22, he said, abstain from every form of evil. And the King James Version says, from all appearance of evil. And so if we're finding ourselves starting to be lured into, or maybe just not thinking carefully enough at the moment, we're all of a sudden we're, we're looking, I'm about to step into a situation, into an environment that's not a good environment for me as a Christian. We probably need to stop and think and step back and choose a different course. You know, sin is sin. Paul, in that particular statement, did not say instruction. He did not say <clears throat> abstain from every real big, horrible sin. He said, abstain from every form of evil. And again, sin is sin. We should not allow the devil to have any place in our lives, Ephesians 4 and verse 27, nor give place to the devil. And then when we think about that, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, Jesus said, when he was teaching the apostles to pray, they had said, teach us to pray. And so we, he gives them what we could consider a model prayer. And he's giving them 
components or elements within that prayer that they should start to think about incorporating into their prayer life. It's not a prayer that he was telling them, you need to pray this particular prayer word for word, rote memory every single day, several times a day for the rest of your life. He's giving them a model prayer, teaching them about how to pray and, and how, what kinds of things we should be praying for, bringing before God in our petitions in prayer. So in Matthew 6 and verse 13, he says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Deliver us from the evil one. That's Satan. That's the devil. And notice he says, do not lead us into temptation. When we dabble in sin, when we play with sin, even those we might think, well, that's just a little thing over there. We're opening our lives to let the devil in and ultimately opening ourselves up to give him room to start to do his work in our lives. And his work in our lives is to lead us away from God, to lead us away from Christ, to lead us into sin and ultimately eternal condemnation. First Peter five and verse eight again, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we need to always be on guard. The Bible does not speak about big sins and little sins. But Paul wrote in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, a lot of people don't like to talk about sin. They don't like to think about sin. They don't like to hear somebody talk to them about sin because it violates their conscience at that particular moment in time. It becomes an annoyance to them because they realize they're living in sinfulness. So they don't want to have that brought up in their, in their consciousness because it violates <clears throat> or it bothers them in their conscience. But we need to stop and think about sin. And a point that I want to try to get across is you can drown in a foot of water. And we say, well, what are you talking about? Well, think about, think about being on a cruise across the ocean. And you get out there and you might think about the story of the Titanic when it sank and so many of the the, the people on board that ship, they lost their lives. The, the ship sank and it was a mighty massive ship, but it went all the way down, down through the depths of the ocean. Well, to stop and think about, you know, I don't want to fall overboard. In an ocean depth of a thousand feet, because we know what the, the ultimate end of that could very possibly, if not probably be. We drown, we die. But most of us don't find ourselves in that particular setting, do we? But how many reports have we heard through the news or we've heard from friends or family members or friends of neighbors who give us this kind of news that a little baby, maybe just six months old or so, or maybe even little older than that, he drowned last night or yesterday afternoon in one of those little shallow swimming pools in the backyard. 
Now those are only maybe a foot deep, but he drowned. Mom or daddy or big brother or big sister, they weren't watching for, the, for that particular moment. They got distracted and they turned back and they, they saw he was under the water. It was just a foot of water, but he, he drowned. He's dead. He's dead. Or, and I actually attended a funeral one time many years ago of a young baby just a few months old and daddy put him in the bathtub for a bath. Now I'm sure he did not fill that bathtub up to the rim, just probably a shallow amount of water. And after he got the baby in the bathtub, he realized he needed to go get a wash rag or something, you know, and come back. By the time he came back, the baby had slipped under the water and had drowned and the baby was dead. If we were to find ourselves in a position where all of a sudden we fainted or something happened or we had a heart attack and we lost conscious and we fell forward into a shallow pool of water, only a foot deep, face down, well, we could drown just in that foot of water. You see, you don't have to drown. You don't have to fall into a thousand feet of water to drown or even 10 feet. You can drown in a foot of water. And that's a fact. Well, I want us to think about one foot of water sins. Just those things that we think, well, those are little incidental things. I, I, I can actually had somebody, he, he was taking me to task through text messages back and forth about how it's okay to cuss, perhaps, to use profanity, to use vulgarity. And I was trying to explain to him, yeah, no, no, that's not okay. That's sin. Well, but don't you think, don't you think if, if, if some common Joe, if they know that Jesus still loves them, even though they cuss a little bit, don't you think that I'll be encouraging to them? And, and Colossians 3 and verse 8, get away from, remove from yourself filthy language out of your mouth. Well, how do you know what's filthy language? You see, he just kept going on and on. And then finally the conversation came to an end. It was all by text message, all through social media, but how, I finally said, I can't believe you're trying to excuse this kind of sinful practice. Well, you see, we might think of those as little one foot of water sins, little incidental things. And we could think of a whole lot of others that we would in our mind incorporate into that kind of thinking. Well, these aren't, the, aren't, aren't really that bad. They're just little insignificant things. They're, they're, they're not real big sins. But we can look at, for, at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, and we can highlight some of what we would recognize as Paul laying out there as big sins. And so he wrote, and this is one, only one, of his list of sinful lifestyles or practices that will keep us out of heaven if we live in these kinds of practices, if that's a part of our regular lifestyle. So he said, the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and I've just highlighted some that we might say are big sins. We might recognize those right off the bat. So he says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, the worship of idols, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you,
beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, they'll not be in heaven. Okay, well, we recognize, we understand the condemnation of what we would say, oh, those are big sins. Oh, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't be involved in those. But you know, a whole lot of people try to make those one foot of water sins too. You know, you're, you're talking about some of these things. I say, oh, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. It's not that bad. God loves you anyway. Well, God loves you, but that doesn't mean he excuses your sin. So we need to understand that. Murders will be murderers are going to be among those who will find their eternal lot in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Revelation 21 and verse 8, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And that's simply very descriptive language for eternal condemnation in hell. We understand murder is a big sin. We understand, you know, hitting a little old lady over the head and stealing her purse, maybe kicking her in the ribs a few times while she's down. That's a big sin. Robbing a bank is a big sin. And we could name a whole bunch of them. Well, murders is just one in that list that Paul brings out. And we understand that's a big sin. Adultery. Now, this is one that a whole lot of people might try to start to turn into in their mind, in their thinking, in their explanation, just little one foot of water sins. Because you don't understand how she treated me. You don't understand how he treated me. You don't understand what it's been like. And again, you know, this is common. Everybody's doing it. Well, no, everybody's not doing it. But in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, that is to Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, now they're speaking to Jesus. They're trying to catch him in perhaps a self-contradiction, depending on how he's going to respond to what they're about to tell him. So they said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, being sexually unfaithful to her husband in the very act, they said. And then they said, and here's the challenge. Now Moses in the law, that is the Old Testament law of Moses, commanded us that such should be stoned. Now that means executed by stoning. And then they said, what do you say? We know the rest of the story, don't we? He knelt down, started writing the ground. We're not told what he was writing. I've, I've, for many years, I've, I've wondered, what was he writing in the ground? And then he finally said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And they began just walking away, filing away. And then he was not excusing the woman. He told her, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Now, if we understand that's a big sin. Fornication is also one of those big sins Ephesians 5 and verse 5, Paul wrote, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I just pulled again. I highlighted some within that big list that Paul wrote in Galatians 5 and verses 19 through 21. Murder was one. Adultery was one. Fornication was one. No fornicator, nobody living in fornication is going to have an inheritance. They're not going to be in, in heaven. 
if they're living in that kind of a lifestyle. So we say, wow, that's a big sin, isn't it? What does fornication mean? I suspect if you, if you asked 10 or 20 people on, on the street, tell me, tell me what fornication means. A whole lot of them would probably be at a loss for words to explain what it means. It's also translated sexual immorality. And it's the broad umbrella of all kinds of sexual immorality. And boy, we see all kinds of sexual immorality being practiced and promoted and condoned all around us in our culture, in our nation right now. Adultery is one form of sexual immorality, but just one. And so what what does Paul say there? Anyone practicing fornication, they're not going to be in heaven. They've got to repent and come out of that. Big sin, okay? Now, what about idolatry, the worship of idols? The worship of idols has been condemned and taught against repeatedly throughout the scriptures. Going back to the original Ten Commandments even, Exodus 20, beginning with verse 3, it heads the list of those original Ten Commandments. And so, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. So when people start bowing down before images, before carvings, before, before you know, sculptures and so on that they look at and say, oh, that, that's, that's God or that's some kind of religious icon, that's condemned in scripture openly and repeatedly. We cannot put anybody or anything before God in our lives. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me, Jesus said, is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Well, by implication or by principle, we can understand he's saying anybody who loves anything or anybody more than me is not worthy of me. And then also we look in Matthew 22 and verse 37. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Luke in his, in his list here adds with all your strength. In other words, with your total being, with everything you are and everything you have, God has to come first. Okay. Now a whole lot of people would look at most of those, or at least a number of those, and say, oh, yeah, big sins, big sins, got to stay away from those. But what about those one foot of water sins? What about those sins that people say, yeah, well, that's, that's not that bad. Little things. Well, what about those? What about those one foot of water sins like hatred? What do you really think if I hate somebody that I'm not going to be in heaven? Well, 1 John 3 and verse 15. Whoever hates his brother, John writes, by inspiration, God's word, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That was one of those big sins, wasn't it? That was one of those big sins. So John says, hating your brother is tantamount to murdering him in God's eyes without going through the physical process. And so he says, no murderer has eternal life. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, 
He is a liar. A liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now some people, even within the Lord's church, will say, I don't, I don't hate so-and-so. You know, you act pretty hatefully toward that person, even in your thought process. We need to be careful. We need to stay away from the line. Don't cross over it at all. Don't even get up close to it. But a lot of people would say, well, just hating somebody is going to keep me out of heaven, going to cause me to be lost. Read the scriptures again there. Well, what about, what about lying? Could lying, it, it's just a little white lie, could that really keep a person out of heaven? Well, go back to Revelation 21 and verse 8. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Doesn't distinguish, but doesn't distinguish between great, big, fat, juicy lies and, and little white lies, as we call them. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Well, what about, you know, I'm at a party. And, and, you know, getting drunk every now and then, is that really so bad? First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Paul writes, and this is another one of those lists of sinful practices that will keep a person out of heaven. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Well, okay, we're back at some of those big sins, right, in people's eyes. But he goes on and he says, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. There's fornication again. Sexual immorality. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, we need, as Christians, we're supposed to be shining lights. In fact, we're told that we're the light of the world because we're shining forth. We're supposed to shine forth the light of God and Christ and Christianity before the world around us, before people around us. So they can see that light in us, not to our glory, but to God's glory. Matthew 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, according to God's word, yeah, yeah, being a drunkard is going to keep you out of heaven. It's a work of darkness, and there's no darkness in God. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the day, and not in revelry and drunkenness not in lewdness and lust and in strife and envy. If we could eliminate all of those who are in jails all across the land who ended up in jail because of some crime that they committed while they were drunk, we would probably come close to emptying the jails. That's what a negative effect it has on our culture, upon people, because people become intoxicated, they'll lose their inhibitions. 
First John chapter one, verse five, this is the message which we have heard from him and deliver to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And going back to Romans 13, verses 12 and 13, this is identified as a work or a lifestyle of darkness, sinfulness in other words. Notice the contrast here as we move on. What's, what about this next one? What about revelries? What, again, what are those words we don't use commonly in, in our conversations? What is revelries? Well, it's the idea of carousing. Vine, in his expository dictionary of New Testament words, he talks about it as he, he, he talks about it as a, a consequence of drunkenness. Sounds, you know, like a, a typical wild party kind of scene in our culture today. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin and that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the unbelievers. And Peter says, we're Christians. We've spent enough of our past life in the sinfulness of the unbelieving world. And so we should put that behind us when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, you catch the connection there between those three terms, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and what Vine said about what revelries are, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking, of, speaking evil of you, because you're not going along with those practices. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We need to come to our senses about these things. We need to come to our senses. Notice in that particular text there in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, the distinction between the two lifestyles and what falls within the lifestyle of sinfulness that will keep us out of heaven and what Peter says, we need to put those past practices before we became Christians out of our lives. Well, let's look at another one here, what some people might consider to be you know, a more incidental sins. What, what, what about if, if you're involved in instigating and continually being involved in strife? Will that really keep me from going to heaven? Well, we look at, at Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19. Now, if I just read this without commenting on the context in which it's written, you might not get the full point, at least the full weight of the point. The wise man wrote, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. That's instigating strife. What is the context there? Seven things Solomon listed in that list. He said, these are abominations to God. And that's right there in that list. Abominations to God. In Romans chapter 13, verses 12 and 13 again, it's right there in that list of darkness. And again, there's no darkness in God, the darkness of sin. 
So again, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. See the contrast there again between the two lifestyles. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. We need to recognize the character of the Christian life that God wants us to live. Now, what about one more as we look at it? What about being neglectful in my responsibilities as a Christian? Maybe not being involved in the good works and the activities, just not being neglectful in my responsibilities as a Christian. Could that keep me out of heaven if that persists in my life? Romans 2 and verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And then James takes up that particular theme. In James chapter 1 and verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, New Testament Christianity, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, continues, that's active in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's not just a matter of believing. It's a matter of obeying. It's not just a matter of intellectually understanding my responsibilities as a Christian. It's living those responsibilities. And James goes on in James chapter 4 and verse 17. He says, therefore, to him who knows to do good, another translation says, to him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is sin. How many times do we excuse ourselves or at least find ourselves tempted to excuse ourselves? Now, I'm not going to be involved in that. Well, the church is going to get together and do such. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm not into that. Or, or, you know, this needs to be done. Somebody else can do that. How many times do we excuse ourselves in our minds from responsibilities that we have as a Christian. Have you invited anybody to church services lately? No, no, I don't do that. Why not? We're to make disciples of all the nations. We're to teach the gospel to all creation. Matthew 28 and verse 19, Mark 16 and verse 15. You don't even invite somebody to services? That's a pretty easy thing, isn't it? Well, I'm, 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 I, I'm, I'm just not into that. Again, one foot of water sins. We've seen over and over again where there's no such thing. No such thing. Sin is transgression of God's law. When we break God's law, we sin. And the text does not distinguish between big sins and little sins. Do we really expect to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, and that final day of judgment, and tell our Lord, these were just little sins over here. They're not really that big. You know, they're, 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 they're not that important. They're not serious. They're just one foot of water sins. I did not fall into that thousand foot deep ocean of sin and live therein and drown in that sinful lifestyle. I did these little things over here. That was all. 
Again, God's word does not distinguish between so-called big and little sins. We need to not let the devil, you know, pulling us over here saying, not that big a deal. You don't need to worry about that. That's too legalistic. Sin is sin. Whoever commits sin, John wrote in 1 John 3 and verse 4, also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's the law of God. And then Romans 6 and verse 23 again, the wages of sin is death. Sin. It doesn't say anything about big sins and little sins. The wages of sin is death. And we're talking about eternal condemnation. Well, the thought of falling overboard into an ocean depth of a thousand feet, especially if you're not a good swimmer, is scary indeed. But we need to remember, you can also drown in just a foot of water. We need to be careful all the time. And I'm not talking about walking around scared to death. I'm talking about we need to be careful. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it is, walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. That means really carefully paying attention to what's going on around you. Paying attention to how the devil might be trying to lure you into some, even one foot of water sins. Because the devil's our enemy. And sin is the avenue that he tries to use to pull us away from God. These are important matters for us to study. A lot of people, again, they don't want to talk about sin because they see it as negative. And sin is negative. That's why we need to talk about it. That's why we need to study about it. That's why we need to understand it and stand on guard against it in our lives, personally. If you need to pray to God for forgiveness or for something, for strength to help you overcome some particular sin that you struggle with, please do that. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you this morning. If you step forward, let us know or talk with us privately. Or maybe you're ready as one did just this past Wednesday evening. And you're ready to turn away from a lifestyle of sinfulness and be baptized into Christ so the blood that he shed on the cross can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins. We'd love to help you with that this morning. Or if you need to study some more with somebody, just ask us and we'll do it. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?